Hello, everybody. This is Eric, formerly of All Through a Lens, and you are probably wondering what the hell is going on here. So let me explain. This is not a new episode of All Through a Lens. That podcast is gone, and this is not a new venture. Neither of us are doing anything at the moment. So let me explain. A few weeks ago, when Vanya began to take a break from the show, we came up with the idea of having more easy-to-produce shows with more than one co-host for each show, sort of as substitutes and fill-ins until summer break, essentially. We thought we would start small and bring on Jess Hobbs to temporarily substitute for Vanya before branching out and bringing on multiple other co-hosts. Unfortunately, the podcast was ended after we only produced one of these. And this one that you're going to listen to was recorded a few days before the podcast was killed. This one is the first of what was to be six episodes. We would then take our normal summer break and then come back with Vanya in August as normal. So I know this is not the same, but I hope you give it a listen. I personally think it's a, a good episode with some good information and some fun along the way. Uh, and also Chandler Flanagan is wonderful. So uh, check her out and check out Not Your Grandma's Camera Club. And um, thank you again. And I'm sorry. Is it going to be all right? Hey, everybody out there. This is Eric, and I want to thank you so much for listening. We're doing a little bit of a different show today, and since Fanya is on break, we've got Jess Hobbs to fill in for. Say hi, Jess. Hi. What have you got going on for the show today? So for today's show, Eric will be talking about artificial intelligence and how it's both worse and not as bad as it seems. And Jess has got some bad news and some good news about Kodak chemicals. We'll also be watching A Most Unusual Camera, the Twilight Zone episode that asks the question, what if a camera wanted you dead? And I know some of mine do. But before we get to any of that, Jess, how are you, how are you doing today? Well, today I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> today, today I'm fine. Uh, I had a little bit of, I don't want to call it an episode because that just sounds weird, but like a, a thing happened. Okay. A thing happened with one of my cameras. Yes, just one camera, but okay. multiple backs. Oh, go on. And it sent me down this terribly negative <laughs> spiral where I started questioning everything. Do I want to do photography? Am I even a good photographer? I shouldn't be doing this anymore. I'm a fraud. And wow. it just kept spiraling down from there. Yeah, that, that's, that's yes. Maybe it was a bit of an overreaction because I have other cameras I can use, but this was happening with my favorite camera. Okay, and that is? Well, the RB67. The greatest medium format camera right? ever produced. Ever, yes. ever, ever. So I wanted to shoot, because I have like these special backs for Polaroids. Okay. Um, so I can shoot like the integral film on my Mamiya. And I had to like rip apart an instant lab and put it together with other pieces that I bought from two different companies uh, to make these backs. And 
one of them started really mucking up on me. Mucking up. Yes. Okay. So I guess that when the film sometimes sits in for too long and you eject, then the chemicals kind of go all over the place. Okay, sure. And then the rollers get all messy and stuff. And so I was anticipating that happening at first because it happens all the time. What a great design. I know, right? But then usually by like the second, third shot, everything is fine. Everything starts working and we're great. This time though, the first one came out and it was a mess. Like, just such a mess. It was chemicals everywhere. <laughs> Uneven development. And the worst thing is, though, my exposure was nailed. Like, I I really would have loved the shot otherwise. Okay. And so I took a second one, just in case. It was just, like, a mistake with the first one. Sure. And that was probably the bigger mistake. So I took my <laughs> second shot, and I love that one, too. Um, but it came out even worse. Like, just super screwed up. And so Jody and I were like, okay, we're going to go to a pharmacy. We're going to buy some Q-tips and some rubbing alcohol and we're going to clean it out. Okay. Um, and he even found like these little brushes that like go in between your teeth. Like instead of floss, you can put little brushes or something. Oh God, Anyways. That, it's horrible. Well, we didn't use it for our teeth. We used it for the, the rollers. Uh, so we got like a ton of gunk out, like really dried up old chemicals. And it was, so I was like, yay, okay, this is going to work. It's amazing. I get to a really great spot. We found uh, an area by the locks in Montreal where big ships were coming through. And there was actually one coming through like right when we got there. So mm-hmm. I was like super excited because I love watching big ships go by. Who doesn't? Right. And I took a shot. And it stayed stuck in the back. Oh, no. But not enough for me to be able to pull it out. So it couldn't even develop. (laughs) So I was like, okay. And I didn't have tweezers. And I tried, tried, tried. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. We finally said, okay, you know what? Today's a bust. Let's just call it. We're going to go home. We'll regroup. We'll fix the back. And everything will be fine. And we had left the, because I have two backs. So I'd left the other one charging at home so that it would be ready when I got home. Sure. And so we, we made the trip back. We get pliers to pull out because tweezers weren't even working. They weren't strong <laughs> enough to pull. But in trying to pull it and trying to push the button at the same time, it like burnt out the mechanism, like the, the motor. Oh, no. So now the motor on that back's dead. Okay. The film is shot. Yes. And on top of it, my other back, the battery's dead. It will not charge. Oh, no. Yeah. So I was super bummed out because all I wanted to do was shoot Polaroids and it just wasn't working. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll scrap that. I'll put it aside. Let's go out and film something else with the Mamiya, but using the regular backs. So I have the Pro S, which is the second version of that camera. Yes. But I recently bought some Pro SD backs, which work fine. And they're great because they don't have light seals. They're like baffled or something like when they close so there's no light leaks which is awesome because my other backs even though i've changed the seals uh they still let in light leaks and i have to tape them up (laughs) yeah which is yeah which is really annoying uh so i wanted to use the sd backs but there's something in my camera that's not communicating with the backs properly and so it overwinds Oh, wow. I've read the manuals like a few times just to make sure I really wasn't missing anything here. (laughs) And I've tried everything to just get them to work properly and they will not work. I've been getting only seven shots per roll when I should be getting 10. Yeah. And I mean, at least I'm getting seven. And if I'm very careful, I get seven good ones, but it's not ideal. So anyways, I was really, really freaking frustrated i was so pissed (laughs) and poor jody he's just trying to calm me down and i'm freaking out throwing everything up into a tizzy i was almost crying because i was just like i just felt so stupid 
I felt so bad about myself and I felt so dumb. And I was like, what am I even doing this for? This is my favorite camera. I can't get it to work. What am I doing wrong? And it just spiraled. And I actually haven't picked up a camera since. <laughs> really? That that was your last really. photographic experience? Wait, no, no, that's not true. I did have to finish off a roll on the rolly. Okay. So I had five shots on that. So that's true. Okay. So it wasn't my last. Okay. Well, that's good. You You continue without even thinking about it. Yeah. That's good. But it just, it was so, it was so horrible at the time to go through. Now I think I was totally overreacting and it was just silly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, talk about imposter syndrome times like a hundred (laughs) here. Well, I think the great thing about the Mamiya RB67 is that it needs no batteries. It's completely human powered. Yeah. And so when you introduce something like a battery to to the equation, chaos is going to ensue. So my theory is that in some way, the Mamiya knows this, understands <laughs> that there's a battery involved and has revolted against you to the point that it's not even allowing you to do it the right way now with no batteries. It's just like, now you're done. I got this from this camera from a guy who was selling it behind a dumpster at Tim Hortons. You know, <laughs> I, I believe we've talked about this camera. Yes, yes it's the Tim yes. Hortons dumpster camera. It's the Tim Hortons dumpster camera. And it came from a studio where <laughs> there was more than one RB. And I okay. think that they like mixed up the pieces and stuff or oh, something because the yeah. viewfinder is not even the right viewfinder. Yeah. But my, <laughs> so my camera, basically what we're saying here is my camera needs work or I need to buy another one. <laughs> I'm a big fan of having a backup camera. I, I think for the RB, for as much as I use it, I should have a backup. Same. But I, I, yeah. Same. I really should. So, anyways, yes. how have you been doing? Well, I went on my first camping trip of the year this, this past weekend. Yeah, I took, uh, it was a hike. I did about a 10 mile hike and did some camping along with that. I took the the Chamonix 4x5 and two lenses and I don't know, like a dozen film holders. And I'm either, well, not either. I am out of shape. And also Aww. it was too heavy. Oh no. It was pretty bad. Doing 10 miles, honestly, it shouldn't be a big deal. That's oh. a pretty easy hike. Now where I was hiking was rougher terrain and I did some elevation gain and all of that. But for the mm-hmm. most part, it should have been easy and it wasn't. And so now I'm like, oh my God, do I need a new like hiking camera? And what would that even look like? What would that be? What would that be? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, of course, some people are going to be saying, oh, Mamiya 7, and I don't want a rangefinder. And and those are expensive. Sure, yeah. Like, they're great cameras, but they're not cheap. And I am. So <laughs> I think if I think if it comes down to it, I, what I should do is, is go on a hike and take, like, a, a Holga, you know, or go on a hike and take, <gasps> um, yes. like... Or if I get my uh, my Mamiya six four five back, take that and 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 just that, and then see how that goes. But there is something uniquely special about having to unpack your camera from your backpack mm-hmm. every time you use it. And if you have a smaller camera, you will, and it's understandable, sling it around your neck and and yep. you know use it whenever. And that's great. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But w- where I'm at now is. I'm really enjoying the entire process of taking out 
I have three different bags that I use. I have you know, one for the camera, one for the lenses, and one for the film holders. And wow. I really enjoy having my assortment out there. I have a tripod that I carry. Mm-hmm. And that whole process is has become very special to me and kind of makes my hiking and my trips more unique to my experience. I take some copious notes while doing that. And I wouldn't do that with 120 because there's really not a need to. That's for me. true. But for for yeah. for four by five, I really take a lot of notes, and there's something also special about the decision that you make when you have, say, two lenses, one camera, two lenses, and four different emulsions, and you can mm-hmm. shoot those, you know, not in a roll, like oh, I, I just loaded Tri-X, and so I have to shoot that for the rest of the day. Yeah. That's not a problem I have, and I like yeah. not having that problem because you never know what you're going to come across. Exactly. You're never gonna. You'll you'll never know what scene will want black and white, or what will want color, or yeah. or you know, both. Yeah, or push a film. Yeah, I can do that, which is yeah. which is rare, but I'll do that. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I have I have two lenses. One has a shutter, one doesn't, and so oh. I have to stack up ND filters. And I oh. like that 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 little bit of mathematics, or perhaps it's arithmetic, that goes into figuring out, like, okay, I I want to shoot this at you know this certain f stop, and I would need to have one five hundredth of a second to do that. Well, I can't move my hand that fast, so how many stops is it to about a second? I'm I'm good at maybe a half second. Okay. And so I can count backwards on on my meter. That's what that's yeah. the, one of the wonderful things about having like a Pentax spot meter where you have mm-hmm. like um a chart basically a chart like a pie chart kind of yeah. there before you and you can count back, oh this is, you know, seven or eight stops until I mm-hmm. get to, you know, like to until I get to one second. Well I need eight stops worth of N D filters or I have a ten <laughs> I have a, what is that? I think it's a one thousand wow. N D, which is ten oh stops. Oh my God. Wow. And that's I mean, you can't even see through it. You can't meter through it. That's crazy. And so if, for those who don't know, ND filters are filters that you put over your lens that that essentially let in less light. It lets you do like long exposure sometimes. So like if you want to make water look smooth, yeah, you know, you can put ND filters and then your water will be nice and smooth around rocks and stuff. Or It, it essentially you know. allows you to slow your shutter down. Exactly, exactly. Or allows you to not have a shutter and just use your hand. Or I have actually a lens cap that I found that goes over certain ND filters and ones that it doesn't, I have to use a UV filter, which has a larger oh. outer diameter that will fit. It's wow. a whole mess that a few people have said, well, you should explain how you do this. And I'm like, no, there's really no yeah. reason for me to explain this to anybody. <laughs> it's a mess. You don't want to know. I, I'm always interested in how other people work. Not okay. because I want to like adapt it to the way I work or anything, but just because I find that that's such a an important part of the process is it like is. how each person works. It absolutely That's how is. how you get the image, you know, so. The creative process and seeing other people's creative process is really fun, but also explaining your creative process is fucking hell on earth for me. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I, <laughs> it's, it's tough. I have been, for, for our Patreon subscribers, I have been shooting video for Instagram and people have, have commented and said, oh, you know, thanks for, for showing a little bit of your process. And they kind of like a, a little bit of your process, sort of like a, not quite a dig, but sort of a dig <laughs> saying like, oh, you know, I guess it was, I guess you showed us that a little bit. It was neat seeing how you sort of take pictures. 
And at some point I really, it's nothing special, but it is probably different from how other people do it because I'm a different person. Mm -hmm. It's probably a worse way to do things. And if you have a way that works for you, absolutely under no circumstances emulate what I'm doing. <laughs> but eventually I will get around to showing that. So yes, I camped. I camped and it, awesome. it was fun. I had a good time. My hikes lately, and this was and going back to last year, I, I do get so tired that I think I'm just going to die. And so I lay down under um, the shade of a sage bush, which is the only thing that provides any, and it's not cover because they go up to like your your hips. So you have to mm -hmm. kind of like nestle down in Hunch. there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fully sprawled out. I'm, <laughs> I'm dead. And I was like, I can't, I can't go on any farther. I can't do this. And I do not know how I'm going to stand up. And then the next day I shot a bunch of cemeteries. And I don't know if anybody's even remotely interested in my cemetery work. And that's fine. I like the stories that you write about them. People, yeah, people do seem to enjoy that's that. That's cool. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Um, and that, that's all when I get back. But when I'm, when I'm there, it, it's such a fun uh, it's horrible to say fun about a cemetery, but cemeteries are fun. I don't care. It's such a fun experience looking at the, the stones of, of people who have died. Like this isn't even that long ago. You know, it's West Coast. So history, white history didn't really start till here, especially like a hundred years ago, 150 years ago. So the people who are dead have only been in the ground for, you know, 120 years at most in the places that I'm going. That's true. And yeah, a lot of the true. stones are covered over and a lot of them aren't there anymore. A lot of the cemeteries are, are hard. Yeah, it is. It's hard to find. And See, know. that's weird because here we have like proper cemeteries, like fenced in and- We have those too. Like we, we don't have like just beside a field or something, or very rarely do we have beside a field. In these cases, mostly they're, they're pioneer cemeteries. And mm -hmm. what that means is- families lived there for a little bit. They broke sod and, and it sucks, but had like an older relative that died or some children that died, buried them mm -hmm. and then moved on with their lives and moved somewhere else. And so a lot of That's these children and a lot of the older people as well are there without any other family. Though often with the kids, it is with their brothers and sisters who have also died. And so that's oh. kind of the, I mean, I, I understand it's like sad. the rational part of me understands they're dead. It, it, it literally <laughs> does not matter. But also there's a sadness as a parent, you know, there's a sadness of leaving your grave, mm -hmm. you know, leaving your children in the grave behind you as you move on with your life. You know, mm -hmm. we're not really psychologically prepared to bury our kids. It's not no. supposed to be that way. And yet no. it's very much that way out there. Every cemetery I go to, there's numerous children and it's it's not something you can sit around and be sad about these this happened this happened so 120 ago. years ago you know yeah. but it's also something you can't be completely detached from either because if yeah. you are that's i don't know psychopathic i guess it's pretty weird <laughs> yeah so i try to Maybe walk that, that that lovely line between not caring and caring too much where I just, I guess it's just normal. I <laughs> just, I act like a normal human being while I'm there. So that's weird. <laughs> I guess it's like the only place I do that. <laughs> well, today we've each brought with us uh, a little bit of 
um, I don't know if it's show and tell, but we've got a couple of stories for you here. Uh, Jess, as you mentioned at the top of the show, you're going to tell us about what the fuck is going on with Kodak's chemicals. Okay. So for Kodak fans out there, 2023 has not been kind, and we're only four and a bit months in at this point. Uh, We started the year off with yet another price hike announcement, which definitely sent shockwaves through the film community, especially as color films have been increasingly harder to come by as it is. On April 17th, news broke that Alaris is up for sale, and I've seen a lot of photographers questioning what that means for the future of Kodak-branded films. I know. Yes. But then, just four days later, four days after this, Don's used photo equipment tweeted about the end of Kodak-branded photochemicals and paper. Okay. Who now, Who the fuck is Don? <laughs> and why, does, why is he the only person who knows this? Don is the original owner of the used photo equipment store, which is in Texas, and I I believe is now run by his son, Todd. I don't know if they run it together or I'm not sure there, but I know his son still runs it and he runs it with um, someone who goes by the name Mr. Holga. Oh, for fuck's sake. Go on. (laughs) I love love them. Anyways. (laughs) Now. Before anyone starts panicking, it's really not all doom and gloom, but I'll get to that part in a minute. So I'll be honest, I do find that the whole breakdown of Kodak, Eastman, and Alaris to be a little bit confusing, but the gist of it is that Alaris have the rights to distribute Kodak-branded films, chemicals, and paper, and are owned by a pension fund in the UK, for now. What I didn't know, but it actually kind of makes more sense now that I know a little bit more, this company from China called Sino Promise Group were the ones making the chemicals and photo paper. And basically, they just quietly closed up shop. So the tweet from Don's reads as, quote, It is unofficially official. Sino Promise that makes Kodak chemistry has closed. No more Kodak chemistry being made at all. End quote. Um, I do know that Sino sent out a notice to distributors that they were done, but otherwise, I really haven't seen much about this online. Like, I did a lot of searches yeah. to try to find anything, and there's just nothing really out there. There's, like, an article now and then, but it's really hard to find any information. And actually, I, I should mention that all of my information that I've gotten is from Don's used photo equipment. Because <laughs> that seems like the only one who... who- has, they broke the news. Yeah, yeah. Basically, they broke the news. Like, they they were the ones that figured this all out, and they're the ones who are talking about it. Aye, aye, aye. They even actually recently released a YouTube video uh, where they were talking about Sino. And so I think that the red flags were definitely there about a year ago if, you know, if you were in the industry. Like, I wouldn't know because I have nothing to do with <laughs> with these companies. But I think if you're working in the industry, you probably had an idea because supposedly Sino had implemented a cash upfront policy when you would order from them. And so that's generally not a good sign of like a healthy company. <laughs> nope. <laughs> when you go from like cash on delivery to cash now, that basically means that like, yeah, we need your money to make your chemical. Like it, your chemicals are made to order. Yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the McDonald's of actually, I don't even know. Does McDonald's make to order or do they still make ahead of time? You're, you're asking the very wrong person. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> See, I don't even know. <laughs> no, we're lost here. 
If you're listening Anyways. to McDonald's, please. Uh, no, don't bother. But no, don't bother. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, basically, though, what happened is that Todd got word of what was happening through his distributor um, because he tried to order chemicals a couple times and the orders weren't being fulfilled. They kept saying, no, those chemicals are back ordered. And so he called up his distributor said, what's going on? His distributor was like, I'm not sure. Let me look into it. So he called back a week later and the distributor was like, yeah, no, they're just done. Wow. Just that's it. Like they can't, they are not taking orders anymore at all. And whatever they have left is just like going super quickly. Like it's just there to fulfill all the orders that had been made before. So that means... What for Kodak? So that means Kodak has very limited supply left. Okay. And stores have very limited supply left, except for B&H for some reason. They seem to be the only ones I know of that are like totally in stock. So I don't know how they did it, but whatever. <laughs> they order a lot. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, I guess that's it. exactly it. But like I said, it's not all doom and gloom, even if it's starting to feel like that. There are alternatives to Kodak chemicals, and especially many clones that work equally or even better than the originals. Personally, my main black and white film developer is Extol. Hands down, my favorite. It's versatile, it's cheap, and I always get the results that I want out of it. Um, I do actually use it as a one-shot, though, um, oh. so I could technically be a little bit more economical with it, but that's not really important to the story anyways. <laughs> but I've been using Legacy Pro's Echo Pro version for years, especially since moving to the farm, because it's a bit more ecologically friendly. Um, and here we're on a septic system, so we're not hooked up to city drainage or water treatment plants or anything like that. So I'm always conscious that everything going down the drain will kind of end up back in the waterways and back out into nature so i try not to dump chemicals you know even even spills kind of bug me when they come out of the tank and stuff oh, yeah. so i really love using the echo pro lineup for that reason okay. um the times are exactly the same as extol uh, and the look i get is also exactly the same uh, i do know that adox also Ad adox adox i say adox but who knows adox okay adox also makes a clone xt3 but i've never used that one so i'm not going to talk about it but i have heard really good things about it if anyone okay. does want to does want to use it so there are other alternatives to it there Xtal. are and i think yes. fomapan or foma makes a xtal I think so. variant as well i think you're right mm -hmm. so yeah. the echo <laughs> what is it legacy pros echo pro is just xtal yep cool I didn't know that. Yeah. Very cool. And then they also have um, they also have a stop bath and a fix that's yes. in the Echo Pro lineup as well. And I, I think they're HypoClear as well. Is, oh, wow. Uh, HypoClear. Yeah. yeah it's I a have, name I haven't heard I, for I stopped a long using time. that. I haven't used that. I use it for paper. When I used to develop um, in the darker, like um, print in the darkroom, oh, okay. I would use it for paper because you, you need it. You need to get all that fix off. Yeah. I've had I've had a few ruined images because the fix got... Start. I didn't wash long enough. Hypoclear <laughs> helps with that. <laughs> okay, so suppose if you don't use Xtol like like me. Yes. So there's also D76, which is a pretty classic developer. Um, it's one that I'll always keep on hand as a backup, actually. Uh, both Ilford and Legacy Pro make their own versions of it, uh, although I have yet to try Ilford's ID11. I have used Legacy Pro's L76, and again, to me, it's exactly the same as the original Kodak version. I don't see any differences. Oh, cool. Um, and, and I've heard good things about ID11 as well. I've just never used it. Okay. I don't know why. It's weird. I love Ilford Films, but I never use their chemicals. No, I... No. I don't know why. Nope. I really can't figure that one out. When it's over, Ilford. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like that. All right. And of course, another classic, HC110. Mm -hmm. Probably the most used developer, but don't quote me on that because I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it's not. Oh, I have no idea. I always thought D76 was. Oh, really? Yeah. I hear people using HC110 more. I thought I was weirdo using D76. No, D76 was like like an standard. I thought it was like an older one, like older generations liked it. And then everyone loved HC110 later. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that may be true. Okay. I I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm just going by like forums and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, I've used a lot of HC110. But yeah. Uh, so, and again, here, both Ilford and Legacy Pro do have alternatives, Ilfotech HC and L110. Mm-hmm. Uh, these ones I haven't actually used yet because I bought a brand new bottle of Codex version at the beginning of the pandemic and I've barely made a dent in it. Like that shit lasts forever. I'm going to have that bottle until the day I die. <laughs> Probably. Maybe. And and it will Cause, last cause forever. I, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't use it that often. I'll use it for certain things, mm-hmm. but I don't use it for everything. I have um, used Legacy's L110 extensively. Okay. I used it a lot. And really? I love it. Yeah. I've used that for, I don't know, four or five years now. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I've gone through a dozen bottles, maybe. I used to use it a lot, a lot. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep, quite interesting. Like it. Quite like it. And no, yeah, there I is see. no difference between that and HC110. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so another one that I do hear about a lot and I want to try, I haven't yet, is Ilford's Ilfotech DDX. Uh, which is their answer to Kodak's T-Max developer, uh, which was created for more modern emulsions like Ilford's Delta series um, and the T-Max films. And, right, yeah. 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 Um, and also, again, Legacy Pro has their own version called L-Max. L-Max. <laughs> I, love, I love how Legacy Pro did that. Everything is like L's, <laughs> except for the Echo Pro. It's just Echo Pro. But Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it's true, right? Yeah. Of course, there are other companies like Adox or Flick Film from Alberta. Yay, Canada. <laughs> We're getting on the map. Uh, <laughs> that have also released a small line of developers. And I'm assuming that they're probably always going to work to expand on that. I hope they're going to expand on on their lineup. Um, and while it's not a Kodak clone, I've heard great things about 510 Pyro from Zone Imaging in the UK as well. So we really have no shortage of available substitutes to Kodak's chemicals. No, even be even there forever, right? Exactly. Yeah. Even for color processing, Kodak's not the only game in town. Um, although that's not an area I'm familiar with yet, uh, I do have a pack of C41 chemicals. I don't remember which company I bought them from. Um, they're sitting in a closet it somewhere. Probably wasn't Kodak. No, it wasn't Kodak. No, <laughs> I know it wasn't Kodak. That's true. Yeah, they're sitting there waiting to be mixed, and I'm scared but anyways so there's an abundance of c41 e6 and ecn2 kits by eric's kit yes please that can buy be my found damn relatively kit. easily <laughs> it's true uh right? yeah let me let me plug the ecn2 kit if you're looking to maybe oversaturate your color in your c41 films or i guess properly develop your cinema film i suppose i do sell kits it's cheaper than all of the other ones so here we are there you the go. link is I think it's all over the damn place. You'll know where it is. Yeah, it can be found. Yes. So the only area, though, that does concern me a little bit is color paper for darkroom printing. 
I could be wrong here, but I think that Kodak and Fujifilm are the only two companies that make this kind of paper, and we all know how reliable Fujifilm are, uh, so it would be really sad to see that disappear. I wouldn't be personally affected right now, but maybe I'd like to learn how to print my own color negatives in the darkroom one day, so I do hope that I can get that chance when I'm ready to. So do I think that we all need to go into apocalypse hoarder mode and buy up everything Kodak as quickly as we can? No. But depending on how the eventual sale of Alaris goes, I might buy a couple more boxes of Ektar and 4x5, just in case. Yeah, it, it, it can't It's my hurt. favorite film. No, no, exactly. I can't imagine Kodak's actually going to go out of business or Alaris or whatever. I doubt it. I, I, doubt it. I mean, if it's, if it's for sale, really, it, yeah. someone's going to buy it. It's probably going to be some Hollywood guy who... It's going to be Christopher Nolan or Tarantino. <laughs> Is one of those two oh, people are going yeah, to buy that's, it? Oh, that's actually yeah, that's a yeah. good theory. So there we Tarantino, go. Tarantino totally. I'm placing I'm placing my my money down on that barrel head. I mean, I'd like for I would like for Kodak Films to stick around. Yeah, I, sure. I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't buy a lot. I really only buy their color film. I I barely like I'll buy a box of Triax every once in a while. Yeah. You know, I prefer Ilford films because I find them a lot easier to work with in the darkroom because I you can do the filter, like all the colored filters, multi-grade filtering and all <laughs> that. And so I find them a lot easier to work with, whereas I find Kodak Black and White is really good for scanning. When you just want to scan and put them up on Instagram, that's when their films are really good because they come like just out of the box. They're really, really nice. <laughs> but um, otherwise, I pretty much just buy their color film. And I... I would be sad because they are the only real color game for now in town. For now. If Kodak's going to stick around, I would like them to maybe join the film community, see what we're up to. I agree. Okay. And for uh, my little piece here. Yeah. We, okay, let's get into this. We are not going to have a long discussion about artificial intelligence because Aww. as I've learned in the past couple of days, that's fucking annoying. But in March- the Sony World Photography Awards announced the winning entry in their creative photo category, a black and white image of an older woman embracing a younger woman entitled Pseudomnesia, the Electrician. Ridiculous name. The press release announcing the win describes the photograph as haunting and reminiscent of the visual language of 1940s family portraits. Uh, you've, you've seen the photo, we'll talk about it in a second. I don't agree with any of that. Uh, haunting, yes. Yeah. Reminiscent of the visual image of the 1940s family portraits? No, that's a ridiculous thing to say about literally anything that isn't a 1940s family portrait. But that's true. the artist, a uh, Berlin-based, Berlin-based Boris Eldgesen, turned down the award. Why? Well, his photograph was not a photograph at all. He announced... <laughs> He announced that he had crafted it through creative prompting of Dolly 2, an artificial intelligence image generator. You know, all the ones that create- Shocking. The, yeah, all the weird swirly things. Well, you can also do other shit too, apparently. I, I'm just shocked, flabbergasted. It, it was breathtakingly shocking. So right? the image totally. submitted, it, it is weird. It's unsettling. Yes. It's awesome. I, I love the image. And if we get hate mail for it, I don't know- Convince me to not like something. Good luck. I absolutely love it. And I would love to see someone like Kate Miller Wilson or one of, I don't want to say her crew, but honestly, yeah, her crew recreate it. 
I totally understand why it won. And you've seen the image, Jess. Yes. Yes. It's it's a a a woman with a woman behind her and there's like a right hand on one side of the woman's shoulder and then another right hand on the other shoulder. So it looks like the woman behind her has two right hands. And so AI has a problem getting hands right for some reason, which yes. I think it's adorable. But it's creepy. It's creepy and it's, it's weird. So be- creepy. Because of that. And of course, I'll get into this in a second, but a lot of people were really upset that, like, well, how could the judges miss this? Because it's clear that she has two right hands in this picture. And well, and there's a third hand that's snuck in there across the frame. I'm like, I- I'm sorry. I I agree. I don't know how they didn't catch that. And the hands are like the hands look messed up. They, they like, do. They look don't mess- look like hands. They don't look like fingers. They look, looks, like ghouls, <laughs> yes, look like ghouls. Yes, it looks strange. Like maybe there was some prosthetics involved. And yeah, sure. a third okay. person. My first thought is it's a third person because I'm not expecting AI. And that was That's kind of true. the whole point of this. Basically, Boris yeah. submitted the image to see what would happen. He submitted it to three photography contests and won three times, giving back the prize money and explaining the point to what he was doing. But for some reason, the Sony one is the only one that made the news. I don't I don't know why. I wonder why. What other contests did he sign up for? Do you know? He didn't say. It oh, may, he didn't may, say. Oh, okay. He didn't say. Okay. Maybe it was just one and he said three. I have no idea. This I wonder if it's Sony that made a big deal out of it then. It is not. And well, oh. he, I think Sony was the last one and he went forward with his, oh, Sony was probably okay. the biggest one. We probably don't know the other ones. That's true. Okay, so, good point. Uh, what he was doing was 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 being, as he called it, a cheeky monkey to find out if competitions are prepared for AI images. They are not and can't be. And I'll get to why in a moment. <sighs> Photography contests uh, sometimes called judged photography exhibitions, which makes them sound slightly less icky. Does are it? A, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I think it's worse. Are a longstanding tradition and a way to see your work elevated. It's good for marketing and it's good for your exposure. All things which lean a lot more towards a business and capitalism end of art. They also mm-hmm. pit your work against others because it, it's a contest. That's how contests work. But in something like a race or a game show, there's a clear winner. The person who comes in first with the quickest time or the team that scores the most points, it wins. That's that's how it works. That's how it works in football, family double dare, tennis, everything. But in art, what's there to quantify and why do we feel the need to quantify it? Sometimes it's fun to see if you win or not. Like there's, there's actually, there's only one photo contest that I technically submit to. And that's uh, Holga Week. And so you spend the whole week. I don't know if you know what Holga Week is or if anyone else doesn't know. You spend the whole week. It's October 1st to October 7th. You shoot your Holga camera. Mm -hmm. And then you have time to develop and process your your images. And then you submit your three best ones. And there's different categories. And you can win prizes. And it's a lot of fun because it's like the whole community comes together. We're all shooting the same cameras that same week. Mm-hmm. And we're all taking the time at the same time to process our stuff together. And and it's super encouraging. We get to like vote on each other's stuff as well. And so that's a lot of fun. That that's sounds like fun. a nightmare. Uh, but no. I, under- <laughs> I understand how like with the community aspect is one thing. 
Okay, yes. that's that's something I, I'm not really for me, but okay, I get that. But the whole judges thing and like, oh, these judges are super important gatekeeping type, type of photographers and they're the ones who decide that's where no, my big no, problem comes in. I'll, it's always I'll, like podcasters that are the judges. That's even that's even worse. Do you have any idea how no, horrible we are? It's so much fun. No, that's that's worse. That's always worse. Okay. Anyways. When image is generated through prompts given to artificial intelligence programs, I guess, are indistinguishable from human-made work, what are the judges actually judging? Weird hands. <laughs> yes, but maybe hands. Uh, and if that somebody, that judge, can't even tell the difference between something created by a human and something created by artificial intelligence, what's the point? Especially That's now, true. going forward, what is the point of photography contests? And on that, it will become increasingly impossible to tell the difference between photography and images created with AI. Even by next year, I mean, it's really making a lot of leaps and bounds here. Even by next year, mm -hmm. it could be literally impossible to tell if it isn't already. Now, again, for those of us who shoot and develop film, this doesn't matter. This is not an issue. No. So while it's shitty that people could potentially lose their jobs to AI, Mm -hmm. take a look at like any Rust Belt city or any coal town around where I grew up and you'll see losing your jobs to advancing technology is nothing new. Mm -mm. It's not good, of course. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not making excuses for it. But that's unfortunately how capitalism works. It's just another shitty tentacle of the system that we've decided is the best one for us. But yay. yay, as Boris <laughs> mentions in an interview he did for Scientific America, the real problem isn't that weird ass AI art will take over Instagram or that a relative few photographers will lose their jobs. It's actually a lot worse than that. He warns, this is a quote, most kinds of photography can be augmented by AI, meaning they're allowed to be, it's not a big deal, mm -hmm. but not the photojournalism part. The press needs to come up with a system to make it clear what is authentic, manipulated, or generated. If you don't do that, democracy will be manipulated and misinformed by anyone who can write five words. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and that's just true. You well, know? we're terrible. Humans are terrible. Yeah, we're the, going to do terrible things with this technology. It is it's, true. It's a given. Yeah, I mean, we've done terrible things with literally every other technology we've had, so, so why not this? So why not this? AI <laughs> isn't special. No, <laughs> it's just one more thing. And it's been around for a while. It's oh, not it like a brand new thing. No, no, not at all. It's been around for, for a while. It's just becoming trendy, I think, is what well, it was. It's being marketed to us now. That, yes. And that's the big that's problem. That's exactly here. it. So this is just true, all of this. You know, it honestly doesn't matter if the judges of photo competitions are ready for AI. It doesn't matter if uh, we want to pretend that we can tell the difference between an AI image and a real photo. We can't. What matters is how the billionaires who are marketing AI to us are going to fuck us over for their own profit. That's what matters. Absolutely. Yeah. So while we're waiting for various billionaires to decide the various ways they're going to destroy democracy to line their pockets, maybe we can ask ourselves what the point of photography contests is. I mean, why not? What else are we doing? Why not just do like gallery shows or make prints and show them? Maybe make some zines and sell them. I gotta do that. You do need to do that. Or okay. maybe, just maybe, we can focus and should focus ourselves on our own creative processes. It's something that AI can't have. It's something that AI can't touch or understand because in the end, 
whether it's for a photography contest or AI-generated images, we're constantly told that the only thing that matters is our end product. Yeah, and that's just not true. Our creative process is far more important than any of that. How and especially why we create is our true importance. It's what makes us photographers and artists and not artificial intelligence. Robots. Robots. (laughs) It's what separates us from artificial intelligence and the judges of photography contests. Um, It's a weird (laughs) comparison, but I think it's there. Our art should be about our creativity, our drive, our passions, and about being human. The photograph and art we create is simply a byproduct of our humanity. Absolutely. It's such a tangible thing, like from putting the roll into your camera or the sheets into your film holders to the act of actually setting up your camera, taking your shot, bringing your film back home, either developing it yourself or dropping it off at a lab, doesn't matter, uh, then scanning it or working on it in the darkroom, the whole thing step by step is tangible. It's something you can hold. It's something you can see. And it's something that you can feel. And you can put your feeling into every single image. And that is something AI can never, ever do. No, it can't. Now, you can certainly create some wonderful art. And yes, Mm -hmm. art using artificial intelligence. You absolutely can. Absolutely. But that's not what we're talking about here today. (laughs) So focus on your creative process, whatever that is. And if it involves AI, I guess it does. You know? I mean, I'd love for an AI to like do my dishes or, you know, do my farm work so that then I could just concentrate on doing photography more often. That would be great. Yeah, I don't think the billionaires in charge are going to let us get out of work on this one. Right? <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Damn it. Stupid billionaires. <laughs> Chandler Flanagan is a film photographer and cyanotype artist, cyanotypist, who has published a zine with Better Off Press. Most recently, she started Not Your Grandma's Camera Club, and we're going to talk to her all about that. Well, uh, Chandler, thank you so much for coming on with us. We we do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, of course. So let's um let's let's start with a, a real basic photography podcasting question. How did you get into photography? Well, my dad actually had a bunch of film cameras when I was a kid and he was always taking pictures on them and he would develop his own stuff and make prints. And then when digital cameras came out, he kind of just didn't take as many, but he still had the cameras. Um, And I remember him walking around with the camera always taking pictures we had even to this day bins and bins and bins of photos just thrown into bins and mm-hmm. not really sorted we need to scan them in still but uh, <laughs> i always loved taking pictures with him and saw him taking photos and then i got into like high school and then i didn't care so much <laughs> and then one of the elective courses that was offered was uh film photography so i was like hey i can do that and my dad had a camera for me already so i didn't have to like buy one or rent one and this was in like 2009 maybe where they still they still uh taught you how to develop the film and there was a tiny closet dark room it just kind of took off from there. I just kind of couldn't stop taking photos. I didn't do film 
very often after that because it was kind of expensive for someone just out of high school. So uh, I kind of got my own Canon Rebel digital, whatever it was, right from the start and uh, just kept going from there. So you print a lot now. Did that come from like the dark room in, in high school? Was that where that was laid, that the groundwork was laid? Yeah, it kind of started as that. Um, from the dark room, I really enjoyed printing a bunch. I can't say that I was really good at it to begin with, but uh, something about holding it in your hand, just a physical print feels different. I think especially it hit me different once social media kind of came out. I remember like posting photos on Instagram and then people, it just looks different. I like holding it and looking at it. That's why I like zines and like actual physical prints and um, manipulating the prints once they're made. It's just a different feeling. It feels like you're getting more out of it, like rather than just taking a picture, posting it on Instagram, then taking another picture, posting it on Instagram. It just feels too... I don't know, too easy for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I noticed on your Instagram page that you do a lot of cyanotypes. Uh, Where did that come into your process? I actually uh, saw it on Instagram, believe it or not. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I saw it on Instagram and I saw um, a woman who does cyanotypes based off of seaweed. I think her Instagram, I'll have to find it. It's OPO index or something like that. Uh, She makes cyanotypes and um, she dives deep in the ocean and cuts down giant pieces of seaweed and then prints out giant, like she covers giant pieces of paper, like with the cyanotype chemicals and then lays the seaweed out and then does it in the sun, like on the beach and makes giant cyanotypes. And I was obsessed with those. And then once I typed cyanotype in on like TikTok, then I saw people were making prints with it. And then I was like, okay. So then I bought all the stuff right away and was uh, printing my photos out on uh, negative paper and going from there. And it just kind of didn't stop. With the cyanotypes, you've, you've mostly just focused on your photos with that, right? You haven't done like the, the nature stuff too much, have you? No, I really liked the way it looked um, just using my photos because, again, like I, I like getting something more out of um, what I'm making, yeah. especially when it comes to photos. Like the money aspect, it gets expensive. And so once you're like really into film, and you want to keep creating with film and you're like, oh, well, I can't afford another role right now. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, just work with what I got already. So you can make multiple attempts at one cyanotype. So once you print the negative, you can like try different painting styles and different ways with the chemicals. And um, it's just one step further than photos in it. Um, kind of makes you feel like you get more bang for your buck. <laughs> yeah, it's that's the only that's kind so of printing cool. I've ever done. Is like really is contact printing. It? That's it. I've never done like darkroom printing or anything. No. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's wow. a nice. Oh, that'd be a it weird does. thing to lie about. I haven't done it in a long time, so I can't really say that I do darkroom printing. But I have done it, and it's fun, and I would like to do it more. Mm-hmm. But you, I just saw a couple of days ago your zine that you did with Better Off sold out. 
Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Really cool. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's the one and only zine I've ever done. So it's pretty exciting. <laughs> well, I guess before I ask, how did that come about? Do you think you'll do another? I would like to. I have a, a couple zines started and then I've gotten uh, halfway through. So <laughs> I haven't really, as far as it could like laying it out, it's really hard to like figure out the formatting for me. And like, I don't really have like a template and then finding a printer and then mm -hmm. it just gets too overwhelming. And then I start and then I stop halfway through. <laughs> yeah. I haven't but even I started like one. <laughs> really? You haven't started one? <laughs> Because it's just so overwhelming. Like, just you, I'm listening to you to explain it, and I'm like, I can't do that. I just can't do that. I need someone to do it for me. Well, that's what I need. Listening to her explain it, I'm overwhelmed now, <laughs> but I, I do this all the time. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, layout and, and oh, like, arranging it. Oh my God, that sounds impossible. No, wait a minute. I do that. <laughs> this is what I do. Yeah, it just, it, well, when Travis offered to do it, it's, I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> if you want to put yeah. it all together, yeah, I've bought his zines before. Or, and I knew that he would do a good job with whatever I gave him. So I just kind of put my trust in him and he went from there. He but did. It's it exciting. is such a nice zine. I mean, his his layout with your art, I mean, they really played well together. Sometimes, you know, you, you don't always have that connection with somebody, but yeah. that, that was there and that really, really worked well. Yeah, I was really proud of it, um, the outcome. And I'm, I'm pretty uh, honored that it sold out. It's... It's kind of crazy just to think that they're floating around out there. <laughs> they are <laughs> just floating around. Yeah. <laughs> now, what you what you had in the zine was was kind of different than like normal photography and even normal cyanotype, even normal contact printing with photography. What did you would what 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 was it? What was going on there? I hate getting lumped into one thing. So I hate getting lumped into like being a film photographer or being the cyanotype girl or being the girl who takes Polaroid photos and. Because I also take instant photos and do like Polaroid lifts and stuff like that. And I hate getting lumped into just one thing. So I didn't want the zine to be strictly one thing. So I just kind of sent him all the favorite work that I had, all my favorite work that I had done in the past, like prior months. And I was making a lot of work at that time when yeah. he reached out to me. So I had just like so much stuff to give him and I couldn't choose. I just sent him like a bunch of photos, a bunch of cyanotypes, a bunch of Polaroid lifts and instant photos. And I was like, just go to town, like whatever you want to use, <laughs> just lay it out for me. And I just wanted it to kind of show like all the things that I love to do in one book. And it, That's and it, amazing. it did that. It was a lovely variety. Yeah. Thanks. It yeah, was, I think he great. did good. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And is there anything that you want to try that you haven't yet? I there's so much I want to try. Um, <laughs> I want to <laughs> I want to do larger scale cyanotypes. I haven't quite figured out how to do that. I want to get more into toning. Yeah, so I want to get more into toning. Um, I also want to try. Um, I think they're called anthrotypes, where you use like my friend Paolo tried it once and used spinach to make a print somehow like spinach juice i think it was and i just wow. saw today that some girl used dragon fruit juice to make a print i've I seen yeah it's wow. just there's so many options 
for <laughs> printing that it's kind of crazy. And the all the prints that I've seen have been using like natural elements like leaves, flowers. So I'm kind of interested in doing prints that way. Well, that's interesting. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> it could It'll work. Be a lot of trial and error. Yeah. I just think that's neat that it can work. Like we we often think mm -hmm. of of you know printing with as a, as a chemical process and it is but we also mm -hmm. don't we kind of forget that oh there's chemicals in plants too and those plant chemicals can do stuff yeah it's it's, it's pretty crazy seeing it and i think once i get it down i'll probably just go a little bit crazy and <laughs> try everything that i can completely okay yes <laughs> well so let's, let's talk, talk about okay <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Not Your Grandma's Camera Club. What is it exactly and where did the idea come from? Well, the club itself built organically from me um, wanting more community um, from, you know, women like me, women that like to make art and photos and um I go to like a lot of meetups. Well, not lately, not since I moved, but I've been going to meetups for a few years now, especially when I was in Sacramento, I went to a few and it just, it just didn't feel, uh, I, f I don't even know why I feel guilty saying this sometimes, but it just <laughs> didn't feel like women friendly all the time. Like it just, mm -hmm. yeah, it felt like I wanted more and there wasn't a lot of women coming and, even I like find myself like, like I don't want to make the guys feel bad <laughs> for some, but like the guys We're okay. just, we'll be fine. No offense, Eric. <laughs> sorry. But the guys just, it's a very male dominated mm -hmm. field and it's not what I was looking for. Like the, it's not the community mm -hmm. I'm looking for. Like a lot of the guys I've met are great at the meetups mm -hmm. and they've really helped me out and they've helped teach me a lot of things. Um, but it's just not quite the same. They don't understand what it's like being a woman in this field. Yeah. It's a completely yeah. different experience from my point of view. And I wanted women to feel safe and I wanted women yeah. to be able to come together and talk about art and not get mansplained. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, so I just decided yeah. on a whim. I was like, I'm going to start a club. Maybe like 10 people will join. And mm -hmm. then we'll go from there and just see if people want to come and hang out and take pictures or even just talk about art. I don't know, do whatever comes to our mind. And then it's kind of actually taken off a little bit more than I've planned. So, well, wh okay. Why do you think that is? I think it's because it's needed. I think that yeah. it's definitely something that's needed. And um, I think that other women are feeling the same way and maybe. Uh, they just have been wanting the same thing I have. Maybe it's more of a thing than I thought it was. I agree with that. Is it strictly a local San Diego? Right thing? now, yes. <laughs> we haven't even <laughs> had our first meetup yet. And it's just been really crazy trying to figure out how to plan everything. And so mm -hmm. far, I have like almost 30 people RSVP to go. And like, wow, it's not cool. even... I know. And I'm just like an introvert girl that likes to read at home and hang out. And like, I don't know how I'm going to lead a club, but it's kind of exciting <laughs> at the same time. Like, I'm like, oh, I should probably get like, I don't know, name tags. And like, 
I don't know. I have to plan like icebreaker things and it's just. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's become a lot more, but I'm really looking forward to it. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Do you think you'll do like a beers and camera kind of thing where you like franchise it (laughs) out and there could be like different ones around like North America? I would like to. That'd be cool. Other women are wanting to like take the lead. That would be mm-hmm. great. Um, I don't know how I would manage a bunch, but it seems like uh, a lot of people have been reaching out from other states. Some girl from Amsterdam reached out to me wow. about wow. it, and I was like, "Okay, that's kind of far." I, I appreciate the support. <laughs> this is crazy, but yeah, right now um, it's in San Diego, but. A lot of women, even from LA and um, just further inland, have also reached out. Like they're willing to drive. Wow, to San Diego. So in the in the traffic, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. It, that says a lot already because <laughs> the traffic is ridiculous even getting down here. But yeah, right now San Diego based, and then I'm thinking I might try to do like some LA meetups, some inland ones, just you know, so everyone has a fair go at the drive that sounds amazing <laughs> you can come from canada if you want yeah, i should <laughs> i should i should fly out there that would be so cool i have gone to photo walks and stuff like group events in toronto um and there there's actually quite a few women that do join in which i found really interesting because typically women aren't always very comfortable joining photo yeah. walks um for many reasons i mean not just Man, being mansplained they could be harassed or inappropriately groped or you know like there's all kinds of horror stories and so i do think that like something like this is amazing because there is a need for it clearly women want to join in but we want to do so in safe spaces and i think of um you know danielle and the mm-hmm. crew out in uh wisconsin i want to say wisconsin Close. Uh, it's it's there um the other one minnesota Minnesota? I think some of them are from Crap. Wisconsin. Oh, I'm some not even this. I'm sorry, Danielle. I should know this. I I'm not even going to try because I don't know. I'm, I know I'm going to butcher it. But uh, yeah, so like Danielle and Sarah and Kate and Taylor, like they all mm-hmm. get, to, yeah, they all get together. And, you know, I look at that and I'm like, that is just so amazing. It just looks like so much fun to get together with other women and you get to talk about like your experiences and stuff. That's so I think you're filling a pretty big hole in the in the community which is really cool thank you yeah i hope that it's something that everybody's going to enjoy we'll see how many people end up showing up or how often it's going to happen but i do think it's needed and i think that if anything maybe i'll get some photography friends out of it (laughs) make some art and just inspire each other you know that's what it's what we want would you be Opposed to like women in other in other towns just starting their own not your grandma's camera club? No, I would encourage it almost okay. if if it's the need is there and you are willing to do it. Like after hearing me babble on yeah. about <laughs> all the like nitpicky stuff, then you want to do it, then do it. Like I'll I'll get you stickers and shirts and your own Instagram page and you can take it from there. You know what I mean? If you want to do, do it, you have do merch? It. Yes, <laughs> I do. Oh, well, that's cool. That's amazing. Uh, uh, where can people learn more about this? Um, you can follow not your grandma's camera club on Instagram. It's a very long handle. 
but it'll pop up. <laughs> I have an Eventbrite also that'll, if you want to follow the page, um, it'll notify you when there's new events as well. So the Eventbrite is um, linked on the Instagram. And we'll have links in our show notes, of course, because Perfect, we're not yeah. monsters. <laughs> well, I, I guess that's everything. Yeah, this, this was covered great. It. it was amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on. We're excited to have you. And uh, where can people find you on Instagram and internet? Um, my Instagram is at Disposition Pictures. And then I have a website as well, um, dispositionpictures.net. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. We really, uh, really appreciate that. Of course. Thanks for having me. It was really great getting to know you a bit and learning about your process. And I really loved it. Thank you. Yeah. You should come from Canada sometime. I we'll should. get you down here. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. The original Twilight Zone ran for five seasons, from 1959 through 1964. Each week, Rod Serling, creator, host, and writer of the show, would take viewers on strange and sometimes terrifying journeys. They produced 156 episodes in all, but only one episode was about photography. And here is Rod Serling himself to explain in a preview from the week before. In this uh, $28 a day hotel suite live three human beings who have larceny in them from their toes to where they part their hair. Amongst the loot of one evening's caper is this camera, which they soon discover has most unique properties. It takes pictures of the future. Stick around for the development next week on The Twilight Zone. Did you get it? Development? Yeah, I got it. Oh, he's... Yeah. <laughs> hey. Well, A Most Unusual Camera, which is the name of this episode, aired on December 16th, 1960, as the 10th episode of the second season. Our story opens on a hotel room. Petty thieves, Chet and Paula, have just knocked over a curio shop and are disappointed in their haul. There's one item, however, that catches their eye. Hey, they forgot this. An antique camera, no less. Big deal. Well, fits for the rest of the hall. Everything else is for nothing. Figures, we get a camera that's for nothing. So before we get into all of this, Jess, what did you think of a most unusual camera? Okay, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was super cheesy, (laughs) (laughs) as, as, you know. TV was back then, Um, but it was a lot of fun. It reminded me of sitting around the TV as a family. Uh, We never watched The Twilight Zone because we only got The Twilight Zone in Canada. Well, for me in Canada, like uh, we didn't have cable until later. And then when we finally got cable, like we only got Twilight Zone, I think when, was it Fox that came in and brought it maybe? Or I don't know. It was an American network anyways. Um, But I was older. I was like, I was probably a teenager by then. Um, so I didn't really watch it, but, uh, but I really, really liked it. Cause I used to watch like the Adams family and stuff like that with my parents, but oh, sure. yeah. So it's from so that it kind of reminded me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of that, you know, like the black and white and I thought yeah. it was, I, I thought it was, I thought it was chintzy, but it was cute. Yeah. Now there are, there are some episodes with amazing acting and amazing actors. This is not one of them. <laughs> 
but it but is it's a it's fun and it is about photography so why not you know why not have a movie night why not and so it's like true. every twilight zone episode rod serling starts this off after a bit of a cold open and he explains what um what's going on here a camera a most unimposing addition to the flotsam and jetsam that it came with. Hardly worth mentioning, really, because cameras are cameras. Some expensive, some purchasable at five and dime stores. But this camera, this one's unusual. Because in just a moment, we'll watch it inject itself into the destinies of three people. It happens to be a fact that the pictures that it takes can only be developed in the Twilight Zone. So every episode he would go into the in the Twilight Zone and he kind of saw the Twilight Zone as a, a different dimension and weird things would happen there. And it wasn't consistent. It it wasn't like a separate universe. It isn't like the Twilight Zone verse or anything like that. It's just where weird things happen and affect things in the real world. So in this episode, Chet and what is her name? Uh, Paula. Paula. Chet and Paula. Uh, it's a husband and wife, I guess. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yes, they, yes. Yeah. They are, yes. And they have knocked over a curio shop and they got a bunch of crap they don't really care about, including a camera. And Chet, the... the Nobody names their kid Chet anymore. I know, right? Like, it's maybe sh- back then, but... Oh, yeah, not now. then. Not Chet. now. Was it, yeah. Ch- wasn't there a kid named Chet in, in Stand By Me? Oh, I... Ugh. I haven't I, seen that movie in a really long time. I wonder if it's worth revisiting. Eh. Yes. Anyway, yes. let's not talk about a better movie <laughs> during this. <laughs> uh, so he he gets this, this camera and there's no way to load it and there's no way to open it. They're really confused by it. They're very, very confused by it. You know, 20 years ago, you could get one of these in a drugstore for 39 cents. I got to pick it up in a heist. Not a crummy thing. No place to put the film in. No place to even open it. Eh, some crazy foreign writing. This must be the clicker. I love that. The clicker. The clicker. Which I guess didn't mean remote control then. Yeah, I guess not, right? A crummy thing. Yeah, he was not impressed. He wasn't. I wish we no. still talk like this. Uh, could uh, yes. you make out the foreign writing on it? No, I couldn't. Okay. That will come back into play. Oh. Ooh. Yeah, they're dropping hints like. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) They are. So Chet said um, the camera would be 39 cents. You picked it for 39 cents 20 years ago. And so that would have been 1940. And so I did some math. I figured it out. That is about $8.50 in today's money, which is, you know, not, not bad for a camera. That's like a thrift store camera. Yeah, it was cheap, like a disposable camera. Yeah. Well, there were disposable cameras back in the 40s even, which were probably probably did cost around 39 cents. But this was not one of those. This was a box camera that it kind of looked like a three by four. It was it wasn't yeah. a four by five. It was it was absolutely a prop camera. It was uh, yeah. a box with a lens nailed to it. <laughs> I, I think that's pretty much all that it was. Yeah. But they did have Three by four box cameras. And so I looked through some old newspapers at newspapers.com and they weren't really big in the 1940s at all. The 1920s is when they had their heyday. And in the 1920s, a three by four box camera sold for $2.50, which in 
which is about $40 in today's money. Well, that's different. That is different. You can't get a box camera even for $40 in today's money. So do you think there was a cheaper one for 39 cents? Like that you could actually buy a camera for 39 cents at yeah. one point? I think he was talking about disposable cameras then. And yeah, you you could for, for about Did that they have much. disposable cameras back then? We did an episode about it. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. And one of our listeners, uh, Jason Boehner, I, I believe he found one and shot with it recently. I think it was a 127 though. Oh, that's and, fascinating. Yeah, check out his his uh, his Instagram for that. That's pretty amazing. But back to a less amazing thing. Yes. So Chet found the clicker. So of course he's <laughs> got to take a picture with it. Well, what else are you going to do with a camera you found? Why not yeah. photograph your crimes? Exactly. It shows you that people who photograph their crimes and film their crimes using their, their cell phones are, are dumb, but not any dumber than people were back in the 1960s. That's true. So Chet tells Paula to stand up against the window to take, so he can take her picture, which will undoubtedly be the, the shittiest backlit <laughs> shot ever. And he takes the picture and nothing happens, which I'm not sure what he was expecting to happen because it's a box camera. Right? Like if there was roll film, like what would what would have happened? I don't he know. just advanced to the next frame. Well, he would have to wind it and there was no winder. No. So they continue to argue about random shit. And then a picture pops up. Like Polaroid. Unlike your Polaroid back yeah. for your RB67. <laughs> That's so, a low blow. I'm very sorry. So Polaroid <laughs> cameras had been on the market since 1950, 10 years to this time. So by this time, they were pretty well known and and kind of normalized. They worked a little differently. And I yeah. think there were some that you had to pour like a powder on. Have you heard about those or seen those? What? No. You know, my dad was talking to me about this. He's like, oh, I had, I had a Polaroid camera that you pull out the picture and you pull up, you pour a little powder on it. I'm like, why would you do that? I, I couldn't figure out. I never bothered looking it up. And I'm sure that people out there are going, oh, because of this. And I'll go, okay, neckbeards, keep, let That's me know. That's interesting. Thank you for that. Um, so the most common Polaroid cameras then were the Polaroid 80, the big beige folding ones. Yeah. Ones they turn into four by fives now. Yeah. Good use for them. I, I semi want one. Maybe that's my hiking camera. That seems oh. pointless. Yeah, a little so, bit. <laughs> when the photo pops out of this of this camera on, on the Twilight Zone, on this most unusual camera, the photo pops out fully developed, unlike today's Polaroids. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Polaroid. You have to hide them in the dark and let them develop for 10 to 15 minutes. They did not have to do that back in the 60s. That's amazing. So, this photo is special. It shows Paula standing next to the window. But what's special about it is that in the photo, she's wearing a fur coat, even though she wasn't actually wearing a fur coat. What? How? Ah, but soon, Chet figures it out. I get it. I get it. Camera strictly for laughs. Strictly for laughs. It's a gag camera. What do you mean? Look, look. They've already got the pictures developed inside. The negatives have got pictures on them. All this does is take the faces. What? You know, like at a carnival. When you stand back at that crazy cardboard thing, you know, fat lady, guy driving a car, sailor, you know. Well, that's what this is. That's not bad. That's pretty clever. It's strictly for laughs. <laughs> well, I mean, I was laughing. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny. And also, uh, 
fat lady, guy driving a car, sailor. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, That's always what I think of right away. I mean, I'm constantly thinking of fat lady, guy driving a car, sailor. Constantly. It's in just constant rotation in my head now. Yeah. When I think trick photography, I think those things. Why not? And I figured out just now, like literally just a second, what he was talking about is when you go to like an amusement park and you stand Mm -hmm. behind like the boards with like the faces cut out. Yeah. Okay. I didn't get that. I had no idea what he was talking about. And then I just now this second while we were recording, it dawned on me that I'm an idiot and I somehow (laughs) forgot that those existed. Uh, And so I don't think trick photography like that existed at the time. I mean, could it have? I mean, no. Yes. No. It, it, well, it could have. And people did, like, you know, different artists did do a weird double exposure shit, you know? That's true. Yes, that's true. But for like a camera like this to set it up like that, no, I don't think that existed. But Chet is not smarter than I am. So it's okay. They go back to arguing and then open a steamer trunk and find a fur coat. Ta-da! Paula puts it on, apparently forgetting the photo from literally like five seconds ago. (laughs) And it takes her a while, but she finally gets it and then looks at the pic. And like the look on her face is just so hilarious as it like dawns on her <laughs> and it, she's it wearing is. the coat and she's like, oh my God. <laughs> this actress does these roles. This was, this was kind of her generic yeah. role. Yeah. The scene then, we, we change scenes. It's suddenly nighttime. They got two beds because it is the 1960s. Is that why they had two beds? Y- yeah. In the 1960s, you couldn't show a couple in a bed together. Oh, I didn't know that. Not only that, it went crazier than that. If someone was in a bed, like if Lucy and Desi were there and they were in their beds, they both had to be fully clothed, like fully clothed, of course. And one of their legs had to be touching the floor. Like one of their feet had to be out of the bed touching the floor. So they could only be half in the bed. Yeah. Could they be wearing pajamas or is that too suggestive? Um, Pajamas were big, like big. You had to be, you essentially had to get undressed from your regular clothes and then be wearing more than usual to go to bed. Wow. Yeah. That yeah. is weird. No, TV I did not know that. was crazy back then. Yep. I wondered, because I found that really, that scene really weird. I was like, why are they in separate beds? Yeah. And how did she wake up? Because like, if it, if it was me, and for whatever reason, Jody and I are sleeping in separate beds, if he got up and was like playing around with a camera by the window, I'd, I'd sleep right through that. Well, sure. And she's all like, come back to bed. Like, yeah, but, that I thought was weird. I was like, but you're in separate beds. Can't he do what he wants at this point? He cannot. What are you doing? Come on back to bed. Still with that. Shut up. So what do you care? Mommy, let it go by, huh? So what do you care? So it's a crazy camera, so it takes dopey pictures that really aren't there. Yeah, it takes dopey pictures. Dopey pictures like things that haven't happened yet, but they do happen. So what's to do, Chet? One lousy kooky picture and you get insomnia. So it's a camera, that's all here. I'll show you. So Paula takes another photo. This is just the second one. Chet is basing all of this on one one kooky photo. So this one is um, of the door of the hotel room, right? That's the one that she took. It is, yeah. She just took yeah. a picture of the hotel room door. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, which is the weirdest thing to photograph, but whatever. <laughs> but she totally it. freaked him out. This thing could come from witches or sorcerers. It could, it could be loaded with black magic. And what are you loaded with? Oh. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I love that. Paula's not even a little bothered. I don't. No. I don't know why. Well, because the second like, photo still hadn't appeared. Yeah, but he is so she didn't care. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the second photo has not has not appeared yet. It's a kooky camera. That's all. That should just explain it, Chet. Go back right? to bed. It's a Calm kooky camera. Down. Everything's gonna be okay, Chet. Yeah. I mean, you took one picture. It took like five minutes to pop up, and then it was a picture of the future. You took a second picture. It's fine. Nothing happened. Okay, well, then five minutes goes by, and the second picture pops up, and it shows Paula's brother, Woodward, coming through the door, that same door. But it can't be Woodward. No, because he's in jail. But the door suddenly swings open. Hi, Paula. Hi, Chet. I didn't want to wake you, so I jimmy the door open. I broke out. Me and another guy hitting a laundry truck. <laughs> it's nice, huh? I didn't think you'd mind if I stay with you for a few days. Well, you don't, do you? I was thinking if I was around, you two wouldn't fight so much. You're still all the time fighting? Are you still all the time fighting? <laughs> Why don't we talk like this? Because we're not gangsters from Jersey. <laughs> oh, I want to be. You still all the time fighting? You still all the time taking pictures? <laughs> Are you doing that, Jess? You still all the time taking pictures? <laughs> And so they show Woodward the photo. <laughs> you like that? There I am, standing by this very door, wearing the clothes I got on. How about that? I tell you, science is wonderful to be able to take a picture of it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute! Like, uh, how come? So we take a commercial break <laughs> and the gang, that's a gang now. We've got three of them. Yep, they are yep. trying to figure out what to do with the camera that predicts the future. Paula has no clue. Paula does not. She's just, she's kind of useless. I like Paula though, but she's useless. I do. I do. Yeah. Well, she's not useless, but yeah. 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 But I mean, Chet, Chet doesn't know either. Chet's useless too. Yeah. Woodward, he wants to sell tickets to it. Woodward, he well, knows what's up. Yeah, you gotta make money. Hey, maybe we could sell tickets. Take pictures like at a carny and then... Or maybe we could, uh... Well, you know, like that. See? It's a great idea, Woodward. It is. Yeah, you know, like that. But see, then this is what gives Chet an idea. Because he <laughs> wants to donate it to science. He wants <laughs> to give it back as a gift to humanity. It's an important scientific discovery here. Woodward yeah. just wants to make some money. Now, see, in every gangster movie, and I one of my one of my specialties is 1930s gangster movies. And these characters are kind of based on those. Yeah. At ever at some point in the film, the gangster, the main character, flirts with the idea of going legitimate. I'm quitting. You hired me quitting. I'm going legitimate. Sometimes they Legit. even base an entire movie around going legitimate. And it's wonderful. Edward G. Robinson did it. Cagney did it. It's a thing that happens. And so here, Chet's going legitimate. Because he's got a conscience. He's not so bad, our Chet. He's, he's not. He's a good boy. He's a good, good boy. boy. He's yeah. a good boy. 
So Woodward is annoying. So they make him watch TV. (laughs) He's a five-year-old. It's and he seems fun. He has, he's been in prison. He probably has. He's been in prison in the 1960s. Probably doesn't have TV. That's so true. He turns on a horse race, uh, the horse race channel, which is always on at like three in the morning. Of course, of course. And <laughs> that that 3 a.m. horse race changes Chet's mind. We're going to take a picture of the winning board at the racetrack before the race. The winning board before the race. Get it? No, I don't get it. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We take a picture of the winning board, and then we look at it. Oh, Chester! After explaining it again to Woodward. Poor guy. I I love this guy. They they go to the races. And at the racetrack, that's where they take their third photo. And so it's of the scoreboard or whatever it's called in horse racing. What it, what it, scoreboard? Oh, they call it I don't a know, board, board, I guess. Leaderboard. Yeah, whatever. Oh, leaderboard. Yeah. Yeah. And so they soon see that Tidy 2 is going to win. What a, what a name. They put all their money on Tidy 2. And Woodward is, surprise, surprise, super excited, even though he didn't get it at first, but whatever. Oh, super excited about this. Super excited. Come on, Tidy Toons! Come on, horsey! So we then enter a montage where they take a few more pictures and collect a shit ton of money. I love montages. I'm a sucker for montages. Oh, give me a good montage. And this was a really good one. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you not see them every time they'd go back up with their winning tickets and exchanging the money? And it was just stacks and stacks and stacks. It was awesome. It, it's always not bad. No. But I'm sure glad that montage blew over because later, back at the hotel, they count their money. Chet <laughs> orders a car worth $11,000. And that's a lot of money back then. But yeah. it's um, with inflation, it's only $112,000 in today's money. It's basically a cheap Porsche or an expensive Cadillac Escalade. Which, I mean, way beyond me, but... Oh, God, yeah. Does that... I mean, was that the most expensive car you could get back then? I wouldn't think so. I, I mean, they, they they had Rolls Royces, didn't they still? I think, yeah. Or what about a Bentley or an Aston Martin? Sure. And he orders right? two of them. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe I, that's why he went cheaper. So he could get two cars. It, he, he's... There we go. Yeah, Chet's always thinking. Right? One for him, one for Paula. Because exactly. God forbid they, they drive the same car. They can't you sit can't. in the same bed. They can't drive the same car. Even in the 60s, if you're showing to a couple driving a car, it had to be two cars and one other feet had to be out of the car when it was moving. <laughs> Little known fact. So <laughs> there's a knock at the door. Or actually, no, not even a knock. A guy just comes in. It's yeah. room service. And it's a French guy. Of course it is. He, he looks at the camera. At the camera, at the at the at the at the most unusual camera, and calls it most unusual, and he, he obviously read the script and saw the title, and <laughs> and he asks, yeah, "But what do you do after your ten pictures? Is there any other way to get more film?" Well, we've only had it for a little while. What do you say? Yeah, what do you say about ten pictures? Well, the inscription reads "dix à la propriétaire." That means ten to an owner. Well, I presume that means you may only take ten. So odd. 
<laughs> you see, the lettering is definitely Yeah, they had disposable cameras at this time. And uh, like I did mention earlier, we did an episode yes. called Disposable Cameras and Their Permanence. Which I apparently need to listen to. You do need to listen to that. It was actually a very good episode. Um, okay. They have been around since the 1800s. If you want to know really? more about them. Yeah. If you want to know more about them, listen to our episode called Disposable Cameras and Their Permanence. Uh, by the 1960s, they had fallen a bit out of fashion, but I, I guess they were still around. Interesting. Or a photography podcast. So yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But so they, they decide to kick out the waiter at this point, but I don't blame them because with that accent, oh my God. Anyways. Oh. <laughs> what what do you mean? That's like, that, that's such a fake French accent. Seriously? Seriously. Wait, he wasn't French? No, but, I don't think he was French. But he said, how you say, before saying English things. And French people do that. How do you say? Uh, no, they say, they they do, how you say. You don't pronounce the H. <laughs> oh, man. This is like back say. to the whole AI photo. Is it real? Is it not real? Can you tell? <gasps> I couldn't tell. Fake accent. Oh man, that guy was good. They took they took eight pictures so far and only have two left. But um, for some reason, the uh, how you say French waiter how do you say uh, is not convincing enough to chat. He he doesn't believe a word he says, which is funny considering how freaked out he was about it. Yeah, it is real. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like this this episode isn't very consistent. Some smart aleck French waiter tells us it means ten, so we figure we've only got two pictures left. How does he know what it means? I bet we can take as many pictures as we want. Yeah, Chet. Chet is convinced it's going to last forever because why not? Paula Paula believes the waiter. Well, I would. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And Woodward splits the difference and wants to sell it. <laughs> he just wants to make money. Yeah, he does, yeah. All he wants to do is make money off that camera. And yes. I mean, I can't blame him. Yeah, I mean, in, in Woodward's case, I guess I would. Chet and, and Woodward have uh, a big argument. Chet pulls a knife. Some stupid, no good ex-con who wants to get that camera and doesn't care how he gets it. Don't. Don't do it, you Chester. You put that knife away, Chester. Chester. <gasps> and, and they tussle. Of course, they tussle. It's the 60s. They do tussle, yes. It is yes. absolutely a tussle. Yes. Uh, it even has like tussle sound effects. I know. Yeah. The Foley artist was like, oh, you need a tussle? And we're going to do a tussle here. We're going to do a tussle. <laughs> and they got a tussle. <laughs> and uh, they accidentally take a photo somehow with the clicker. <gasps> I've never done that before. Not when you're tussling. Yeah. So when the photo develops, it's of Paula screaming. At least that's what they that's what they say it is. It it doesn't look like her screaming at all. She's kind of just like kind of just there, uh, I guess. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> like, oh, it's Paula with her mouth open. They argue about why she'd be screaming and fight some more. <laughs> and they they both fall out of it. <gasps> Please don't don't Oh! Ah! Yep. The window is there. It's the same window with the curtains, I believe. Yes. And yes, both... the one that Paula was standing in front of. Yes. So, I mean, she's lucky she didn't fall out. She's very lucky. Right? With that fur coat, that was heavy. They just kind of fell out the window. Instead of down on the floor, they fell out the window. Oh! Paula goes through all the stages of grief, which is um, shock, sadness, then ecstatic happiness. However, we must muddle through these things. We must live with tragedy. Poor Woodward. Poor Chester. One more picture left. Huh. <laughs> She's very, very happy right now. Very happy. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I liked Woodward enough, but 
Eh, getting rid of both of them? Maybe not the she worst She got to keep all the money for herself. She, she did. Lucky lady. It was piles of money. <laughs> and the camera. And she looks happy and yeah. she takes the last photo looking out the window. And, and this is a weird choice. Down, apparently, at the mangled bodies of her husband and brother and snaps the photo of their mangled bodies lying on the sidewalk, twisted and gnarled and bloody and crushed. For posterity, boys. Simply for posterity. May you both rest in peace. That's a little cold. She becomes pretty thrilled, sets the camera aside, and packs up the cash. Just so cold. Cold, but we're not done yet. No. No, because the waiter comes back. How'd you say you he grabs the money and explains that he's cleaning them out. <laughs> <laughs> how you say? How you cleaning. say? Cleaning. <laughs> I'm, uh, how do you say, uh, cleaning you out? <laughs> he knows that they're wanted people somehow. I mean, it's not hard to figure that one out, I guess. <laughs> right? He's probably read the script. <laughs> and he's, he's he knows that they're not going to call the cops, right? And so the picture pops up on the camera and the waiter looks at it. He tells Paula... There are more than two bodies on the ground. How you say more than two bodies? <laughs> yeah. Paula moves towards the waiter so she can see the photo, but but trips on a cord and falls out the window. Oh! Oh no! Maybe there's like a vacuum outside or something. I, I don't know. She she trips and falls out the window. Seriously, what's up with this window? It it's cursed. And it, but we're still not done. There's more. The waiter looks at the pic again and sees that there are actually, how you say, four bodies on the sidewalk. How is that possible? <laughs> Immediately, he is sucked out of the window to his surprising death. Well, surprising Shock. to probably no one. And probably not even him. He read the script. So <laughs> I'm shocked. I was shocked when he fell out that window. <laughs> that poor waiter. Rod Serling and all of his smugness sings us out. Object known as a camera. Vintage uncertain, origin unknown. But for the greedy, the avaricious, the fleet of foot, who can run a four-minute mile so long as they're chasing a fast buck, it makes believe that it's an ally. But it isn't at all. It's a beckoning come-on for a quick walk around the block in the Twilight Zone. His endings sometimes make sense. This one does not. <laughs> But then so much. the story doesn't make any sense. Not really. At the end of Twilight Zone episodes, we are meant to see the story as an allegory. To ask ourselves, even subconsciously, what we would do in their shoes. Because a lot of times the episodes, they, you know, it, it, it leaves you with a decision. Like, what do I do here? There's no good decision to make here. There's bad and worse or interesting or less interesting. Sometimes the morals are very gray and fuzzy in the Twilight Zone. Um, we don't have that kind of episode here. So Jess, if you had this camera, what would you do with it? That's a hard one. Because I mean, what can you do? Uh, I don't know if I'd go to the races, but maybe. Is there anything morally wrong with what they did? No. I mean, well, yes, but no. Is there? Like, I mean, they, they they took a picture, it predicted the future. They figured out, well, let's go to the races and make a bunch of money. Yeah. I mean, gambling is already sketchy as exactly. far as morals go, as especially exactly. in, the, in, in the 1960s in the Twilight Zone. So yeah. that's sketchy to begin with. 
And I mean, I don't know where the money's all coming from. I guess the other people who are betting as well. But sure, yeah. Like otherwise, what are you? You're like, not so, stealing it from people. You're not no. being like somebody's going to win. Exactly. So why not you with this yeah. magic camera and, that tells you the future? No, and the, and they their plans with it were you know they were going to buy a couple of cars. And okay, yeah. I mean, fine. I mean, they yeah. got the camera in, and and maybe this is it. They acquired the camera through thievery. They broke into a curio shop and stole it. And yeah, the camera was, in a sense, punishing them. That's true. But it took a really long route around punishing them. It kind of like dangled something really good in front of them. All this money, they could just like buy cars and live out their lives happily and buy whatever they want and eat whatever food they want. And then it just ripped life away from them. Well, they fought over it. And I guess that- Yeah, that's true. I guess that way, where it morally breaks down is in the end, they fought over it and fighting killed Chet yeah. and brother, Walter Woodward, Woodward. Woodward, Woodward. Walter Woodward. And they <laughs> fell out to their death. And then Paula, who we had such high hopes for, uh, took a picture of the, that's so fucked up. They took a picture, she took a picture of their mangled corpses. Oh, you yeah. don't see it because it's the 1960s, but she points the camera down and does address them as she's taking the picture. Yep. Just dark. Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> that was that was a little creepy. It was. It was weird. <laughs> it was say. not the choice yeah, was I would weird. make if no. my husband and brother fell to their death. But no. I am not Paula. I have not lived Paula's life or walked in Paula's heels. She is resilient. She she is a strong woman. She is, except when it comes to cords. Yes. She has always <laughs> had a trouble with tripping over cords. This time it just proved fatal. Yep. You know, uh, the waiter, well, he was gonna, you know. Well, he was gonna steal their money. Yeah. How you say. <laughs> he was, how you say, <laughs> going to steal their money. And yeah. he, how you say, fell to his death as well. So then who gets the money? Uh, well, it would. The hotel? It would be the maid. Oh, interesting. Yes. So in the and 1930s, that would be the maid played by Joan Blondell. And oh. she would be the perfect person to give, you know, $50,000 to. Yeah, well, you got the wrong impression. I, my heart is always with Joan Blondell. I absolutely adore her. If you don't know her, please look up her work. Um, if you can watch this episode of The Twilight Zone, that means you can watch other episodes of The Twilight Zone. And I heartily recommend that you do. When you get to this one, you can skip it if you want. <laughs> But it's funny. It, it is funny. It is a lot of fun. We will have screen caps up, up, up of it. Of uh, I cannot talk. We will have screen caps of it up on social media or Instagram. We don't really do any social media besides Instagram. Have you just, you've not seen other Twilight Zones before? Is that correct? I'm, I'm sure I've seen other ones at some point. I just okay. can't remember any of them, but I remember the music. So I don't oh, know sure, if it's just, yeah. I remember it through pop culture, like through references on other TV shows. Um, but I'm pretty sure I've seen at least another episode. I just okay. wouldn't remember which one. Yeah. I, I love it. I do, I do fully recommend it. There are some wonderful, wonderful ones out there. There's actually, if you, if you do start getting into the Twilight Zone, there's a wonderful podcast called the Twilight Pone podcast. Oh. Uh, they do apologize for the name. They are two mystery science theater fans and they treat 
the Twilight Zone with reverence and um, hilarity. It's a lot of fun, and I do recommend that. So, Amazing. there we are. Um, good luck with your screwy camera that takes dopey pictures. There you go. There you go. Well, we haven't done one of these in, in way too long of a time. And for people who have sent their zines in, uh, I apologize from the bottom of my stupid heart. We do have one zine to review this time around. It is a zine called Stuck Mirror Photo Journal by Amy Otsaka Badencini. And we had her on for episode 71, which was entitled Satan Just Does Stuff in 3D. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, we interviewed her. She, she's a, a wonderful yes. interview. I love her to death and I love this zine to death. So it is, um, a, as she describes it, a photo journal of Tokyo and Okinawa trip through the eyes of a Nisei woman from Los Angeles. Now a Nisei woman or a Nisei person is someone who is basically a second gener generation Japanese American whose parents oh. were born in Japan, generally speaking, as far as okay. I can tell. I don't think I'm wrong about that, but if I am, correct me, that'd be kind of fun. So it, it is, it is a- It's beautiful. It is. We have some color photos, we have some black and white photos. And I find that interesting because I'm always questioning whether I wanna do zines in only black and white or only color, you know? And then I'm like, but why not do both? And I've found that sometimes both can be a little jarring because they can just be very different. But I find she just, she handles it really well in the scene. Well, I think it's, I mean, it is jarring, but I, I think, I mean, <laughs> I, I think Tokyo and Okinawa are both yeah. incredibly jarring places. And so I do think it fits. And I do think yeah. it, they, they both have their, their place here. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of night photos. I don't know if it's, it is Cinestill. I was gonna say, it looks very Cinestill. It looks very ECN too. I believe um, it is my developer. Oh, nice. Yeah. She does, she goes through a variety of different, of different emulsions, Kodak 400, yeah. T-Max yeah. 400, Rebelt 7. I'm not sure what was, that is. I was gonna say that that's the one that I couldn't figure it out, but I love that photo. Yeah. It's, it's a reroll, I'm sure, but I don't know what it is. Oh, um, that's true. Cause it's got like a crazy effect. And I was wondering how she got that if it was just with the lights, but the guy oh, who's yeah. playing guitar isn't moving like crazy. So yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. I yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what Interesting. that is. No. Nope. Or how, how that's, but yeah, it's a, it's a you know, nightlife of, of Tokyo here. Some nightlife mm -hmm. of Okinawa. I love the photo of the market and there's a, just like one solitary figure standing in the light. And the rest is somewhat darker around. Oh, that's mm -hmm. beautiful. And she does a lot of, I guess, long exposures. It's the only way that I can figure yeah. out how she did it. But the people are, for the most part, standing still. And you know, there's like at, a, at, a, at an intersection, the, the the traffic going by, you see the lights. So it's a very, I'm assuming, tripod or an incredibly steady hand. Yeah. And she has a couple like that now. My first, this is dumb, but my first exposure to a double exposure, like they're not a long exposure like this was, it actually has something to do with Japan. It was a photo taken in Japan, but it was on the back of Duran Duran's Union of the Snake single. Oh. <laughs> and on the back of it, they have that kind of effect in one of the photos. It's like, oh, and so every time I think of it, I think of, I, I think of the song Secret October, which is the B-side of Union of the Snake. Nobody cares. So moving on. Interesting. Um, See, no, I find it reminds me of National Geographic 
because I remember seeing some images, like old ones, uh-huh. um, where they were shooting like Kodachrome and stuff, which is not exactly the fastest film. Sure. And I'm pretty sure they were hand holding it at night. So it makes these like really dreamy kind of long exposures. And that's what that reminded me of actually. That is probably much better than <laughs> <laughs> the, the photo of uh, Kodak 400 of the, I guess it's a poster of a bikini clad woman yes. with people moving past her on the street. So good. Yeah. So good. I, I really, really enjoy this scene. I'm not one who takes a lot of night shots. Amy is. She does some amazing night work. Her work, I mean, a lot of it, what she posts is is car related. She's very much into the, into the car, car culture in LA. Mm-hmm. And this is not, not that. This is a very different thing. It's, it's so interesting yeah. to see that she decided to go with this rather than, yeah. you know, something revolving what she's normally around. And so she's really, you know what? She's, she's really uh, putting herself out there like this and mm-hmm. definitely deserves you to pick up the zine. So I will have the the link in the show notes or or you can go to her Instagram and, and find the link there, which is Lil Angel Film 2. That's L-I-L, Lil Angel Film 2. She is a, a Lil Angel. And uh, that's where you find it. So please, please go and do that. Yes, sir. We, we have we have made it through uh, what I what I, I guess is your first ish main ish episode. Yes. Yes. That's true. How did you find it? Well, I do miss Vanya a little bit, but uh, it was a lot of fun today. Yes. I think uh, you know. I think we we had some good thoughts going, some good chatter. Okay, okay. we did like, like in Little League. Yeah. Like in yeah. Little League, there's, you got to hear some chatter out there. I'm a chatty person, so. You are a chatty get, person, and we did. Get used to that. Yes, we <laughs> we chatted. We had some times. What do you have coming up this week? Farm work, farm work, farm work. That is, More farm work. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's um, it's a busy time of year now, yeah. uh, or beginning. Um, so what we do on our farm, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, so we grow uh, 30 different varieties of plants mm-hmm. that we then harvest, dry, package, and sell so people can consume it as tea. Yeah. And uh, so this time of year is when the greenhouses are packed. We are seeding. We are transplanting it. Full of these tiny little plants that are growing and it's so lovely yeah i love to go in and like tap on them because then they'll like bounce around and they get like good vibes and then they grow really well and it's fun wow it's like a a bunch of tiny groots it it is (laughs) (laughs) they're just they're really cute when they're when they're so small you know but uh yeah so so we have a lot of that going on um and then Eventually, once the rains finally pass, um, we'll be able to get out onto the fields, uh, start not plowing, but, you know, preparing them for for the planting season, which will be in June, because we have to wait until after first frost or last frost, and last frost can come as late as June 2nd. Wow, that's crazy. It is crazy. It's kind of dumb. We could still actually get snow this time of year. That's horrible and, and terrifying. A little bit, a little Canada, bit, especially Canada needs when, to settle down. 
like when it snows on top of the daffodils, it's so sad because then they just they get really sad. Like their 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 heads like bow and they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. But hopefully though there won't be any snow, and hopefully I'll get a chance to get out and do some photography at some point because the woods is calling me. The woods is are the woods are or the, the woods, woods are? is the woods is. I don't know. Oh no, <laughs> the trees are calling me then. The trees, the, the trees, trees is calling, calling you. And the frogs. There's so many frogs. <laughs> They're just chirping away. I love it. I love this time of year. It's it's just so magical. It's a wonderful time of year. It it, it is true. Uh, for for me, um, I don't know. I have got uh, this episode to edit, and I will be seeing before this comes out. I'll be seeing Return of the Jedi in theaters. It's it's being re released for its 40th anniversary. I'm old. Yeah. I saw it in the theaters when it was released. I have vivid memories of that. Um, I have incredibly vivid memories of, you wanna know what my first memory in life is? What? It is nearly choking to death while watching Star oh. Wars New Hope in 1978. No. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's not a good memory. But like, were you choking to death on like a candy or something? Yes, yes. Back in the 70s, parents gave their children hard candies because why not? The Heimlich maneuver apparently hadn't been invented yet, so go for it. And so I choked, and they took me out to this is awful, a heating grate, a heating duct, <laughs> turned me upside down, pounded me on the back. I vomited. No. And they were like, well, "This is a really good movie. <laughs> let's just let's just go back in." Uh, and they say Gen oh X was raised by nobody. Come on. Oh my god! It's right? They were there to save you. They, I was, I was saved, and they, they. They brought me back in to see the rest of New Hope. So I'm surprised you love it. Um, it was my first memory. I'm surprised that you didn't like associate it with something bad though, because you were choking to death. Oh, that didn't happen until millennials. Gen X has been able to oh. swallow all of that horribleness oh. Oh, and we just on. internalize it. Oh, come on. And that's healthier. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but that's why I like Star Wars, damn it. <laughs> And so that's my plans for the next week. I don't have any other plans. I'm, I'm assuming I will get out to camp again. Um, probably not next weekend, but the weekend after. But um, that's neither here nor there. So that's all for us. Thank you so much for listening to All Through a Lens. And a big thank you to Chandler Flanagan of Not Your Grandma's Camera Club for talking to us. We are at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram and by email. It's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. You can also check out our show notes and photographs on allthroughalens.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to us and leave us a review. I'm Jess at Jess Hobbs Photo on Instagram. And I'm Eric at conspiracy.of.cartographers also on Instagram. And thank you all so, so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Like, uh, how come?